This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. As a portrait photographer, it's my job to get the subject to open up and show a side of them that they might not want to reveal. Kevin Jones was graduating from Cal State University Dominguez Hills, and I was assigned to make a portrait of him. And during our session, I found out some very powerful and wonderful things that happened to him during his life. I knew I had to have Kevin on the podcast take a deeper dive into a life that was about to change again. Uh, contrary to popular belief, there are some black families that do have black, uh, both mom and dad. Uh, so I, I would see them. I would see those children and they seem to behave differently. They seem to, they seem to know what to do, how to behave, what not to do. They seem to have be, be different than how I was growing up. There were, there were some clear and obvious things that I didn't know not to do. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Hall of Fame basketball players, professional photographers, news anchors, and USA Water Polo Sports Medicine Manager, Chris Bates. If I, I, I think that if you don't really have a purpose for living, why I don't why do I even care about living healthy and and doing something good for my body? So it, I think it really boils down to that is to know your purpose in life. Um, and start there and really start asking some of those deep questions because I have found for me and for a lot of people that I work with, actually all the people that I work with, it just so happens that for athletes, they're they know but they're they're clear about their purpose. That's the more obvious one though, because their purpose seems to involve physical activity. That the obvious physical activity, actually beyond normal physical activity, their activity actually requires activity that that can be detrimental to their bodies <laughs> if we think about it the rest of my conversation with chris can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into part one of my conversation with kevin jones Maine farmhouse brands was started by dan mccool a healthcare professional his goal was to make premium soap most people may not realize how important the right soap is for their health and the difference between soap and detergent Soap is made from natural ingredients, like animal and plant fats, whereas detergent is made from synthetic, often harsh chemicals, even fossil fuels like petroleum. Maine farmhouse brands makes their own soap with natural ingredients, free from harsh chemicals. So if you want to keep your skin healthy and clean, I would recommend using Maine farmhouse brand soap instead of detergent. You can find their body wash, shaved soaps, laundry soap, and beard oils, and more at MainFarmhouseBrands.com. I've got Mr. Jones on the podcast. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> if I could play the song without losing copyright, I would. Right. No, that's fine. <laughs> well, you know what? You might as well play it. Well, you can't play it, but um, everybody else has played it my whole life. So. I'm sure. I'm yes. sure. Yeah. But it's better to be known than to not be known at all, right? <laughs> if you depends. were, if you were Mr. Wackenstein, no one doesn't. There's no one singing that song, That's Mr. True. Jones. There is no Wackenstein <laughs> sing along, right? But there is. But there's Mr. a few Mr. Jones songs, uh -huh. out there. and that puts you in the mood, my friend. Right. Well, I'm thinking of the other one. Uh, that first one, I'm trying to not think about, but yes, it's been with me my whole life. How you doing, Kevin? You doing good? 
I'm doing wonderful. You look great. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to tell people a little backstory, right? Because we just met less than a month ago. Right. Right? We're, I'm at Dominguez working here. You're a student graduating very soon. Exactly. We get to do a portrait together because they're doing a story on you because you were Mr. All-American. Right. <laughs> You're at Dominguez Hills. Apparently. <laughs> Yeah, and I've got you to do a sit down for me as, for a portrait. And like I do with all my subjects, I, I ask them to tell me a little story, get them in a mood, something I want to kind of portray in the image. And you tell me this unbelievable, beautiful story. I mean, beautiful in a way some people might just feel icky, but it was a beautiful story. And I said, I got to have you on. Right. Yes. Yes, you did. You did. Um Excited about it, but not at this at the same time, not um, not eager at first when you first mentioned it, yeah. um, because uh, sharing your story, um, uh, unless you're going to um, unless you're going to flub it, uh, sharing your story is difficult. Sure, you know if you're going to be transparent uh, or or thinking that your story is not as significant as other, as other wonderful stories you've heard. Right. Uh, but knowing that you've lived your story, um, it, it's still hard to speak about. Yeah. But, but the best part is that you have a story that you can give advice to and people can learn from. If you were just a Mr. Jones, a regular Mr. Brown, a Mr. Smith, you just had a regular life, which sometimes is not a bad thing, you can't show battle scars and say, listen, I can, I could tell you there's an easier path. I've got a way to get you out of a hole. I, listen to me, right? If you were just a regular Mr. Jones, people look at you and go, oh, he's just a great guy with a great lawn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, something out of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I guess. Yeah. Or, uh... <laughs> Look at you with the 80s movies reference. <laughs> I've got a few. I've got a few. So we're similar in age. Tell me, where did you grow up? Beverly Hills? No. No. <laughs> I grew up in, uh, well, my, my neighborhood I considered mentally to be Beverly Hills. Um, grew up in South Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, Whereabouts? Western Avenue. Okay. Uh, between 110th Street and 111th Street. See, see, that's only in 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 Southern California in in that section of LA, do you know it by streets? Yeah. Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm by here to there. And like, right. you know, your streets, right. You and know, so, Southwest college is on the corner of Imperial and Western. You know, that there's a church's chicken on the other corner. Ah, that's uh, it. Yeah. Right. If, if you're from garden Grove, you don't say like, Oh, I'm between Harbor and Golden West. Well, no. I used to live in garden Grove. And so I, I made my little marker over there. I said, okay, well, okay. Over here is where the crystal cathedral is. And over here is where Disneyland is. And I, I lived on Haster street. Yes. Right. So at the end of Haster street, right before the freeway, I don't know if that's the 57 freeway or 22, not. right? 22, 22. There's a little nursing home. Uh huh. And I used to work at that nursing home as a nurse's aide. So I get around. I've gotten around a little bit. Look at you, Mr. O.C. <laughs> Jones. Uh, so how was growing up in, in, in Southern L.A.? As a young boy, right? Are you the youngest of three? I'm the youngest of two, and then there was a younger that came after me. Okay. Um, for me, uh, growing up in South L.A. as a young boy was, um, 
It was a fun experience. I was the Fred Astaire of my neighborhood. I enjoyed playing in the rain. Uh, so singing in the rain, whenever I think of that, I think of my childhood. Because uh, I went out. When, when, when other kids came inside, I went outside. I had to kick the puddles. I had to, uh, I had to slide in the mud. Um, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed coming up as a, as a young boy. Now, 70s, right? So, I mean, you were 70s. Yeah, in the 70s there. Yes. Was it a good neighborhood or a tough neighborhood at that point? I had no clue. Okay. I had no clue. I was in my own world. There was no, if, if you're comparing the 70s South LA to the, to the 90s South LA, from my experience, no. Um, 70s South LA, me probably being totally oblivious as a, from, from the ages of 1 to 10, of what could be happening in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, it, it seemed like I lived in a nice, wonderful, peaceful neighborhood. Right, nothing was going on. I, I remember bringing. I, I remember leaving the house with my, with the middle sister. Okay, and we both left the house in our diapers, and uh, no shade, no shade against mom, <laughs> but my sis, my middle sister, and I were really adventurous. We formed our own little dance group in in, in one of our bedrooms. And uh, when we weren't when we weren't dancing, right? We were auditioning for whatever, right? Uh, The Jones Two instead of the Jackson Five, right? So uh, uh, when we weren't dancing, we left the house and just started walking. And so I'm hearing the story that we were brought back home by the police department because we had walked down the block and around the corner in our diapers. How old were you at this point? I'm figuring I'm with my older sister, the middle sister. I can't be five. Maybe. I don't know how old you have to be to still be in diapers, but I remember. Two? Three? Possibly. My older sister was with me and we just, we just took a walk. We took a walk. And we hear stories today that the, uh, that the police brought us back home. And, you know, we had walked too far, I guess. Oh, my goodness. But for us, it was it was a it was telltale sign of of our adventure. I mean, were there other kids in the neighborhood? Was it a is it a yeah, kid neighborhood? A or kid, a kid? Definitely a kid neighborhood. But at that age, we wouldn't meet we wouldn't meet the neighborhood kids until we got older. OK, so at this point, we were just. I didn't know if you formed a diaper gang and a whole bunch no, of you. I was going to say, we, I was going to say we had just escaped from Shawshank or something, you know, we just, off you two go right down. And you know, when you're that little down the street and around the corner, I mean, you might as well have gone to, you know, Pakistan. Exactly. That's a long way. That's a long way for us. Like I said at the beginning, no shade to my mom. I don't know what was happening, but uh, we, we figured out how to get out of the house and we just took a walk. And off you went. Off we went. Back you came. And, uh, so you were a bit of a squirrel. You get out and have as much fun as you possibly could. Yes. Uh, I'm jumping off buildings, other people's houses. <laughs> uh, were you a big kid? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was a big kid. Um, or, or I got big at a certain point. Okay. You know, you're in your own skin, so maybe you don't notice what big is. Right. Well, if you look back at your pictures now. If you see those pictures of Kevin at five, where you're like, damn, I was a big kid. Yeah, I was a big kid. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You don't know at five. Right. Big as tall. Big, big as in tall. Right. Yeah. Um, big head, skinny body. 
<laughs> you know, uh, take Steve Urkel and and swell his head up a little bit more, and you got me. You got me in the seventies. That's a good look. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so how was school? Were you attentive in school? Seventies. I went to Catholic school. I went to Saint Francis Xavier Cabrini uh, Elementary School. Um, I feel like I was attentive. Um, wasn't the best at certain subjects. There, okay. uh, my my top subjects were English, reading, and religion. Interesting. Okay. Uh, other subjects like math and science and social studies and whatever else they were teaching. History. History. That was blah. I was like, ah, uh, what's the purpose of this? Didn't really. Didn't, didn't hold yeah. your attention. Right. It, it didn't hold my attention. I didn't. Um, I didn't grasp. I didn't um, cling to it like the other subjects. Okay. Was it, was it that, you know, it just at all didn't strike your fancy or was there at home not of we're going to sit here and we're going to work on this? At home, there was at, at some point with mom, there was a we're going to sit here and work on this. Okay. Um, but I can't speak for every household, but you have the child that doesn't like a certain subject. Or isn't isn't getting it, uh, and so the parents have to fight with that child in order to get that work done, or to get the, or to get the assignment for the night completed. Right. Uh, the child would rather throw a temper tantrum and sit at the table all night rather than try to work out that math problem. Okay. That was me. Um, so at some point, it seemed like my mom may have said, "Okay." Um, He'll be good at what he's good at, okay. and he won't be good at what he's not good at. Now, was dad around at this dad point? Dad was not around. Um, dad, uh, this is not emotionally tough, but I remember dad coming. If, if you have a child sitting in the back, back seat of your car, and their legs still don't touch the floor, they're swinging their legs, that's about how old I was when my dad came around and he said, he said, son, I have something I want to introduce. I have someone I want to introduce you to. And it was the woman he had planned on marrying. Um, my problem was that I thought my dad was already married and his wife was my mom that was in the house. So that stayed with me. That stayed with me forever. It's like, how are you introducing me to someone else and telling me as your son that you're planning on marrying this person when when mom is in the house? How, mom, how old are you I don't, at this point? I don't know. My, my legs are swinging on the back seat. So you were a little I, guy. I figure between... Um, I don't think I'm seven. I don't think I'm seven years old. Maybe, but I, I do remember that my my feet were not touching the floor, and I got in the back seat of my dad's car, and he introduced me, and um, told me that this woman in the front seat is who he was about to marry. Wow! Uh, so my dad would come around to spank me when I had done something wrong, because uh, he had gotten a call from my mom, or. He would come by to do 
something else. Maybe, maybe once in a while, take me to get my hair cut. But because of the fact that I'm sitting here right now and I'm trying to think of events where dad came around, that means he wasn't around too much. Uh, but I had to learn. Did he do birthday parties, holidays? Don't remember. I don't think. No. No handiwork around the house. Well, no, if it's not your house, if you don't live there, if you're, okay. if, if you're off marrying somebody else, yeah. you're not doing any handiwork around the house. So really, he was the law. He was the law. He was, you know, if I, if I express my anger in a certain kind of way, um, he got called and came over and put the five finger discount on me <laughs> and uh, told me what I shouldn't be doing. And then he left. He left again. Um, so, but that particular issue about my father, that would, that would get addressed much later. Sure. When I learned that he was type one diabetic, when I learned that he was abandoned by his own family as a kid, uh, when I learned that, um, uh, a few other things I learned in, in, in trying to do some Mm self-assessing to figure out why I was so mad at him. In that process of, of learning, investigating my family on his side, uh, I learned all that stuff about him. Right. Uh, and so that's what helped me many years later uh, in, my, in my 30s and 40s figure out, hey, I didn't have to be mad at him anymore. Because he just didn't have, based on the information I received, he just didn't have what he needed to be a parent. Right. You do need to learn to be a parent. You can't just, I mean, sure, you can impregnate somebody and you are one. Right. But there's growth to understanding what it takes, and you get that from your parents. Absolutely. You're supposed to get it from your parents. I, I, I assume you're supposed to get it from your parents. Uh, so when I when I went to speak to his brother about it, say, hey, you know, I'm really upset. I've been upset with my dad for all these years. We've been fighting. Uh, what's his deal? You know, why was he never around? And uh, why didn't he come and do this? Why didn't he come and teach me how to ride my bike? Um, a few things. Uh, so my, my uncle said, Kevin, you got to stop being mad at your dad. Let me tell you a little story. And he went on to tell me that out of nine or possibly 11 children, uh, that's another issue, um, that my dad was abandoned on the side of the road in Batesville, Mississippi in the 1930s and 1940s. So if we're thinking about Mississippi in the 1930s and 1940s um, and you're black and you're type one diabetic, what's healthcare like in the 1930s and 40s for black children? And are there ways to, um, to provide for a sick child? So these are all assumptions I'm making. Uh, and, so anyway, my dad gets left on the side of the road. My assumption is maybe it was because he was either an extremely bad child and the, even the family didn't want him. Mm-hmm. So you, you chose, out of nine kids, you chose, okay, this is the one we're going to leave on the side of the road. Let him figure out life on his own. Or he was sick and you, didn't, you couldn't care for him. So again, you chose, we got to leave him on the side of the road. Again, these are all assumptions. Right. I don't know what happened. All I know is I'm hearing from my uncle and a few other brothers that he was left on the side of the road to raise himself. So by the time you get around to him being my father, 
and him doing what he knew to do. He didn't have the skill set. Right. He didn't have the skill set. Right. So once I got that revelation, I was like, oh, well, can't really be mad at somebody that didn't have the skill set. Right. He, let just... me, he died in 2003. Okay, let me wish him well. Say thank you for what you were able to do. And I moved on. I could finally get past the emotions of that because my dad and I, we fought. Oh, right. I mean, and again, I'm sure the fighting was a little bit because he didn't know how to parent a child. Right. So he knew how to be around a person and he was screaming instead of parenting. Yeah. I mean, well, little children don't know what parenting is either. No, they, they no, just no know. Clue. They just know that I've identified this person as my mom and this person as my dad. And I assume that there's certain things that's supposed to be done for me. And when those things aren't done, children grow up feeling a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so that was me. I grew up feeling a certain kind of way. And until I got the information, I had that attitude. So I'm this angry black boy. Growing up, trying to grow up, figure life out on my own. When you have other kids, even other black kids who have two parents in the household. Uh, contrary to popular belief, there are some black families that do have black, uh, both mom and dad. Uh, so I, I would see them. I would see those children and they seem to behave differently. They seem to, they seem to know what to do, how to behave, what not to do. They seem to have be, be different than how I was growing up. Right. There were, there were some clear and obvious things that I didn't know not to do. You know, like climbing up on your neighbor's roof and ripping off the shingles and throwing it, throwing it on people as they pass by, you know, uh, cause you're angry. Uh, you know, th- there seems to be just basic things that children who aren't angry don't do. It's interesting that you saw that as a child, you saw other peers with two parent households. They act different than you with one, an occasional law parent coming and going. Right. Right. There, there's a... I mean, we're grown men. We can we know. Right. You're a child and you saw it. You thought, wow, Jimmy and Mike's parents are together and they act totally different exactly. than me on the roof as you're ripping shingles off and hucking them at the <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson's going by. Yeah. Yeah. We, you... Children are smarter than we think. Yeah. Um, and they're also very much more aware. They're more aware. They're not as bogged down with uh, the, the, the things we, we, we've learned or, or, or have been taught as right. older people. Yeah. Uh, I, I always joke with my wife, you never see kids in therapy who say like, oh, my parents, they hugged and kissed way too much. Or um, I heard them making love one night. Or, 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 or you know, my, my dad was always around. Mm-hmm. It's the, he beat the crap out of her. I'd come home, she was crying. You know, my mom's missing a tooth. My father was never around. That's therapy. Right. It's, it's not rocket science. Yes. Yeah. Well, if, if you're not, you... You learn how to adapt and create your own therapy when there's no therapy around. When, there, when there's no traditional therapy, like the parents being in the house, mm-hmm. then children adapt and they learn how to provide their own therapy, good or bad. Right. Now, with you and your sisters, were you guys tight-knit and you guys formed your own little, you know, clan? 
to kind of protect from what you were missing. Uh, I have to only talk about my middle sister okay. with that. Um, my oldest and my youngest, uh, I can't talk about. Okay. That's a tough one. Um, I, I'll say it this way. Um, I wasn't a good brother because I grew up angry and I was the brother of three sisters ultimately. Um, I wasn't a good brother, uh, verbally abusive, sometimes physically abusive, um, taking my, my anger and my tantrums out, uh, on my sisters. Did you destroy Barbies, Kevin? <laughs> um, I, I wish that's all I could, I could say that, that I did. Um, but to, to the extent that, to the extent that if your sisters decided, you know what, they didn't like you anymore and didn't want to have you as a brother. Uh, I probably earned that, um, even from my from my sisters, uh, <clears throat> and 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 much later I would actually learn that at least one of my sisters actually felt that way. Well, having a wild boy in the house is tough for four women. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean if you're just this, just spaz, right? They're like, what, what do we do with this thing? Yeah. You know, yeah, that part I, I can definitely agree with. Um, that that's the more conservative way of saying it, <laughs> right? What, uh, what do we do with this thing? Yeah, right. I mean, were you in sports? Was there any place for you to really burn organized energy? Not at the roof of your neighbors tearing shingles off, but <laughs> we're gonna have Kevin run in a straight line or you know do something. Um, my mom did enroll me in one martial arts class when I was young. Um, but I didn't commit to stay. Um, I I did a little flag football. I did some basketball. Um, there was never really a commitment to any to any athletic, and I think I still regret that. I'm pretty sure I still regret that to this day. Because sometimes that helps being in an organization, seeing other you know adult men, you know, giving you advice that could help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see things today. Uh, where where children are being guided, actually physically guided by their parents, by their fathers specifically, uh, and and taken to do sports, taken out to learn chess, taken out to do hockey, taken out to uh, to do whatever other right. activities there are, um, and because I wasn't taken, you know, um, idle hands, you're just home, right? Just this. You know, uh, Atari becomes your father. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sega becomes your father. Yeah. Um, Nintendo becomes your father. And then that becomes your worst thing is you're not burning energy. You're not, you know, your testosterone's not going where it should be. You're sitting in front of a tube. You're not getting any vitamin D. You become isolated. You don't build development and friends. This is pre-internet, so it's not like you're gaming with people around the world. It's just you and Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Right, right, Pac-Man. Or Pac-Man. Yeah, Pitfall. Right, Pitfall, Space Invaders, Asteroids. And so you're really isolated in your room Mm -hmm. with just that goddamn boob tube just playing away. Yeah, Yeah. well, when you you create your own environment and it doesn't agree with uh, the family that you've been brought up in, um, that's your environment. Right. Um, And then if you're not a tough kid, 
if you're a, if you're a nerd or a goofball, uh, according to the the other young boys out out in society, then you don't fit in out there as well. Uh, you're not. You just weren't groomed properly. You weren't. You weren't brought up. You're supposed to be a tough kid. Get up, get up, boy. Stop crying. Rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, because you weren't groomed at all. Because you weren't. You weren't guided. You ju- you just grow right. up. Yeah. You had four women in the house not telling you that. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Your mom was right. not going to rub dirt on it, slap you on the ass, and send you back out. Right. Right. So so you grow up soft. Uh, and the boys in the neighborhood pick up on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the boys in the neighborhood pick up on that. So then you have to kind of prove that you're not soft, even though you are soft. Uh, and they pick up on that. Yeah, <laughs> so like, yeah. yeah well, they pick up on that. Uh, and so <laughs> what happened was I start growing, and I don't, I don't mean to fast forward. We can definitely come back. Sure, no. But, uh, but you start growing, and you end up six feet five, 280 pounds. And so you give off this, you give off this visual that you're tough. Right. And naturally, people don't mess with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but inwardly, you know, you haven't been brought up. Right. You haven't been trained. You haven't been prepped. Uh, and all it takes is one good bully to come over and say, you know what? Let me test this. Right. You might look good in the shadow of a doorway. <laughs> but when fists start flying. Exactly. Yeah, you're the when, first one on 911. Right. When fists start flying. Listen, now, I've had a couple of fights. I will say that to try to defend myself. But... Um, when you're as big as I am, you didn't have to fight. You, you learn certain things about tools you have, like how big your hands are, how big your feet are. Reach. Right. Your you reach. Could, yeah. Just, right? just putting your arms out alone. You're keeping a lot of people away. Right. So it may look like you're winning the fight, but actually what you're doing is keeping the enemy at bay mm-hmm. with what you do have. Right. Uh, and so that's what I've been able to do. Um, but if it ever came down to uh, some kid trained in Krav Maga or uh, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or any other MMA uh, training or even just a kid who really knows how to fight on the street, I'm not surviving that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need to grow up and be the toughest SOB in the neighborhood. Right. Well. Right. I mean, you don't need to be. That's not what I'm sure if your father was around, he might have said, OK, Kevin, I'm going to show you at least how to protect yourself. But I don't want you to go out and kick people's ass. Right. And that's a difference. That's I've done that with my book. If things go down, this is what you do. But if I find out you're the one picking on somebody, you're going to deal with me when you get home. That's true. But I think that's also a difference, possibly a difference. <clears throat> and maybe you and some of your listeners might uh, might could challenge that. But there's a difference between shady side America and South Central Los Angeles. Uh, in South Central Los Angeles, you don't have to be doing anything, and you need to you need to know how to protect yourself. Sure. Oh yeah, it's a different world. Yeah, different world. So it's not about leaving the house looking for a fight. But in South Los Angeles, if you leave the house, fight's going to come to you and you better know how to handle yourself. Yeah. Um, so how many times were you in a place randomly doing nothing, market, liquor store, school, and all hell broke loose? Zero. Okay. I'd have to, I'd have to honestly say zero. Now, either I was in the right place at the right time 
Or again, they saw me and, and made a, made an assessment and said, no, he's too big. We're not going to try it. Uh, like, but, but for example, like I was in the Hawthorne area, uh, and I was, um, just stopping by a place. I think it was Century Boulevard and Hawthorne Boulevard. Uh, I forget what year it was. Uh, but there are, there's like a Samoan community over there. Mm-hmm. Which is very weird. Those little pockets. Right. In South Central LA. Uh, like. And I absolutely love the Samoan, Samoan community. I, I've, I've grown to love all cultures. Um, but I did not know that there was a particular gang culture in the Samoan community. So I went into this place to get something to eat. And there was a group of uh, Samoan gang members in there. And I walked in just wanting to get something to eat. And all of a sudden I could feel the room go dark. Like if you don't hurry up and get your food and get out of here as fast as you can, you're going to become a part of the menu. Uh, How old are you at this point? Um, probably, um, high school. I'm out of high school. Okay. I'm 18 to 22. All right. I'm 18 to 22. I'm believing. So you're in that trouble area. I'm in that trouble uh, area. Yeah, 18, that's, 22. That's a, that's a kid that can be in compacting heat and getting into trouble. Yeah. That's 88, 89, 90, yeah. 91, 92. Tough time. Right. Uh, the gang thing has popped off really in Los Angeles. Oh, it has really um, popped off. Right. Um, it, you know, as a black child, you know where you're supposed to be and where you're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're about that life or not about that life. Um, a, lot, a lot of innocent children or young adults lost their lives just from going into certain communities innocently, not involved in any type of troublesome activities, and just happened to walk into a gang area. Right. And because they were assumed to be from another gang area, they got shot and killed. Yeah. Um, when, when did you start to know there were gang areas? When did you start to get that sense? 12, 13, 14? Like, crap, I can't go to... 90th and Vermont, that's a bad corner. That's the so-and-sos or the this or the that. Or Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't Los Angeles where I learned that. It was my visit to family in Chicago. You're kidding me? You grew up in <laughs> South Central A and you didn't know there were spots you I, couldn't go to? I, I was, if, if you're asking me, when did I know? My first actual no, where I really knew that there were like gangs in existence, were when I visited my family in Chicago. Uh, and I'm walking down this street in Chicago. What year is this? This is prior to 88. This is before me graduating high school. You made it through high school or was in high school and didn't know there was areas? Well, no, I knew, but I'm, I'm saying my, the first time I knew. Okay. The very first time I knew was before me leaving high school. Hell, I grew up in La Habra and I knew there were areas in L.A. that no. are... <laughs> By the time I, I, I was in high school, I learned about the, the gangs in the area. I went to Verbum Day High School, Catholic High mm-hmm. School in Watts. Uh-huh. Uh, Central Avenue between 111th and 110th. 111th and 110th. Um, and it, um, 
you learn about the bounty hunters that live right in the right in that area behind the school around the school and then i learned that coming home i lived in neighborhood crip i live in the crip crip area okay um but a few blocks down there maybe is another crip area right a different crip group different right? different yeah. crip group so so crip gangs and blood gangs change from block to block mm-hmm. um like franchises it's very weird uh very dangerous uh and so me coming up as this naive kid in all of this um I did learn quickly, but back to your question about the very first time, I was definitely visiting family in Chicago. Okay. And I'm walking down the street in Chicago, and I see these kids in in the alley in Chicago, and they've all got sticks and bats and stuff. And naively, I just walk past them like, oh, kids with sticks and bats. Not an issue. I still didn't put it together. But then later I would go, I would learn, oh, those were gangster disciples. <laughs> that that group I saw in the alley, those were called gangster disciples or GDs. Uh so you know there was a there was a slow awakening, a slow maturing for me. Uh so between that first time and um and then uh, of course what we talked about my high school experience, yeah, I was aware. Wow. Jesus. I was aware. How were you as a student in high school? Academically or socially? Both. Because um, that's the real building blocks to who you're going to become is that high school education. You know, and socially, if you're awkward, it doesn't help you. Right. Okay. Well, socially, I was awkward automatically. I, I was Steve Urkel. I was, um, um, I was the nerds nerd. I made other nerds jealous. Okay. So, uh, academically, um, now when you say nerd, so when people ref, when they close their eyes, think of nerd, they're thinking of the 4.0 nerd who has a computer in his backpack that he built in his garage. Okay. So I'm half of that. Okay. I'm, I'm broken sunglasses. I'm broken glasses with the tape down the middle. I'm pocket protector, uh, but I'm not good academically. Uh, so I, I could speak to you and I can, I can sound intelligent. I can, I can complete my sentences cause I'm good at reading in English and religion. Okay. Um, I have some interest in social studies, uh, but I'm poor in math. Math and I are bitter enemies. So, so you're, you're like, I'm like, you're like a, if you, if you went to In-N-Out Burger and you asked for a double, double and they hand you the, the box with your order in it and everything is there except for the patties, the meat patties. That's me as a nerd coming up. I I'm, thought you were going to say you would order number four. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever a number four is, and don't kill me, okay? Uh, yes, probably. I just, it's, um, do you think in any way it had to do with maybe naively being at a, at a religious school, a Catholic school, that kind of kept you away from the tougher side of a school? Well, I wanted to go to public school, but my mom's conservative. 
My mom is quiet, soft, gentle, conservative. And she knew that the public school right around the corner was dangerous. So I, I wanted to go there because I could just walk home. It was quick. Uh, but my mom said, no, I'm not sending you to Washington High School. I'm sending you to Verbum Day. So she had me at St. Francis Cabrini Catholic School. Then she sent me to Verbum Day Catholic School. You probably would have been eaten alive. Probably. Or uh, at, at, at minimum, a statistic. Right. You know, because um, gang was not something I was attracted to. I managed to somehow avoid that. Um, but it, stupidity. If you get thrown into that public school, the pool, you get surrounded by all those sharks. You might not have no choice but to be in a gang. It depends on. And, and for some people, it's, it's, li- it's like that. I, I do agree. For some people, it's like that. The pressure is so great that even though you might feel you want to stand alone and you know you're not a gang member yourself, mm-hmm. you join that gang to protect yourself, to, to prevent anything bad from happening right. to you. Right. Uh, so for me, I didn't do that. I, I, was just, I was just the MacGyver type. I was the guy who wasn't going to join a gang. I'm sorry, I just wasn't going to do it. So if it meant I had to put my track shoes on and run, run from high school every day, that's what I was going to do. Because imagine me as, imagine Steve Urkel as a gang member. You hey, know, every gang needs an accountant. Come on. <laughs> Come on. No, the, the gang, when, listen, when, when, when gang members say sorry, your, your resume just doesn't live up to par. Uh, we, we can't have you on our team. That's this is, right. was there a LinkedIn page? There's a, there's a LinkedIn page for, uh, no. You just, I, I can see the rolling 69 Crips or whoever the hell it is. Is their HR department's like, no, no this guy's sorry. not working Sorry, out. he's not. Yeah. Look at him. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll get shot just bringing yeah, him into the. That was me. So you're not going to... Um, you're not gonna make it, and and, and that's 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 a tool I use to to assess who I was as a person, as a young person. Okay, is even when people and I had this actually happen to me, even when people who who were involved in tough things, they would say to me, "No, Kevin, you stay here. You this ain't for you. You you stay here." I've had that happen so many times, where maybe I found a buddy or two who may have been in involved in something. But even that buddy involved in something was like, no, you stay home. We'll be back in a little bit. Your presence does give this very loving teddy bear, right? You're just, you know, you don't look like you're going to flip a switch and go all just, you know, gangster on somebody. You look like you'd be like willing to like, you know, stitch a blanket with somebody first. Like you right. don't have that mean streak in your eyes. Right. Don't know exactly where I got that from, but that is me. Um, people tend to look at you from the outside and make decisions about you. Uh, oh, you're black. Oh, you're six foot five. Oh, you're 280 pounds. Oh, you're probably going to mug me. Oh, you're probably going to this or that. Uh, and, and I think that's part of what we have problems with as cultures in between cultures, various cultures is that instead of looking at a person for what's on the outside, 
um, if we took a time, if we took a moment to try to get to know a person, uh, introduce ourselves, come up, let's get some conversation going. Um, we'd probably learn a whole lot more. Right. And I think a lot of times people though look at, um, maybe either someone's past experiences to statistics, like right. The old, you know, if you're walking down the street and it's dark, your car breaks down and there's four young black males walking your direction. Do you continue walking that direction? Or if you see four white Mormons in this white shirt with a little skinny tie in the Bible, do you walk in that direction? Now, those four black kids could be coming from a basketball game and they could be from was Vernon Day and they could be 4.0 scholars going to Georgetown and Duke and Stanford next semester. But I think they're going off of perception of where we're at in the neighborhood. They could be more dangerous than those non-caffeine drinking Mormons. Right, right. And no shade to Verbum Day. Let's let's get there. The pr- pronunciation of <laughs> oh, their name right. It's, it's, it's Latin and it's Verbum. Verbum. Yeah, there Verbum you go. Day. It means word of God. Yeah, see, we're, we're learning Latin here right. on the Just a Good Conversation Just a little podcast. bit of Latin. <laughs> but yes, I mean, but look, there's a history. But you're right. You're right. And, and, and you and I were talking about this earlier. But there is there is a history where this blame the black guy thing has has um has swamped uh has has flooded america um the the black guy could be coming over to help you change your tire absolutely but because of everything you've heard about him in media uh and in radio or even if you've seen uh some bad actions happening out in the street that means every single black person on the entire planet is a horrible person if you're a single white woman with a child in the car though you have to you have to look from their eyes of protection, right? Like I'm protecting my young, so I'm sure that comes into play. Like I've seen all these images, I'm terrified. I yes. I'd rather not ask. Yeah, self preservation is smart. You you do want you do want to do that, um, but to live your life that way, it's yeah, it's terrifying. You know, to live your life in total belief of something that's not entirely true. Oh. At all. Um, that's, that's unfortunate. When you're in high school, do you have a goal? Do you have a plan? Do you see Kevin in five years? What's your, what do you, what are you seeing? No. What are goals? What are plans? None. When, when I'm in high school, um, there's no, there's somebody coming around. You know how they bring people in to speak to the kids Mm-hmm. To try to motivate them, inspire sure. them to go on to do something. We, we've had a few of them come come to the school, come to the high school, and um, ask us what we want to be when we grow up. Right. Um, but nobody really knew. Um, they were At that time, there were no real programs in place uh, on campus to, to steer... Um, uh, a young high school student in a certain direction. Um, you know, we had, we had joined the military. We, we had military on campus. Um, often we had police departments on campus often, uh, recruiting. Um, but we didn't see, we didn't, we didn't see UC Berkeley. We didn't see, um, um, other places that would come and say, okay, we're going to help you 
prepare to graduate because we see the inner doctor in you. We see the fine lawyer in you. We see, we see the, uh, the, the judge. We see the police officer. We don't, you know, it, it just wasn't, um, to my knowledge, and I, and I can't speak for my classmates, but to my knowledge, when we were getting out of high school, it was like a, woo, okay, we're getting out of high school. Yeah, some done. of us are going to college, some of us are not. So did you think of college at all? Thought about it, yes. And um, did you even apply, or was it even a thing? That was 1988. Um, I don't recall applying. Okay. I think at best, I think I was hopeful of junior college okay. or trade school. Um, I don't even think I had trade school on my mind. I think what, what was on my mind most was how horrible my high school years were. And it's about to be over. And I can figure out how I'm going to do life from here. Now, was it horrible because you just didn't feel comfortable? Or was it horrible just because you, when you didn't fit in, it made your life miserable? Well, it was all of that. It was not fitting in. Because as young people, you feel like you got to fit in with somebody somewhere. Right, find a group. Right. right. So if you get close to graduation and you're more of an outcast, uh, self-inflicted or not, uh, if, if you don't, if you get to that, that graduation point and you're just looking forward to snatching that robe off and saying goodbye to high school forever, that was me. And, and plus you didn't do, you didn't do too well in academics. You know, you know, the three classes that you were good at the rest. And, and you learned, you learned from other kids who did better than you in school. You learned that they were going on to UCLA. They were going on to other schools. Now, is mom aware of this at this point in high school? Is she seeing this and guiding you in any way? No. She's very hands-off at no, this mom point? Is, mom is hands-off as far as, okay, son, high school's done. Um, no, during high school, when it's difficult for you. Is she hands-off? Or is she guiding you? Or is she mentoring you in any way? Well, because of the, I think she's hands-off for the most part. Uh, she's verbally like, you got homework to do. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. You got homework to do. Turn off that TV. Go get that homework done. But there's no, in the sense of hands-on, there's no hands-on like, okay. Let me work with you on algebra and we'll go right. over it. And Right. She, she tried at the beginning. But again, like I said, when, you, when your children fight you. It's um, tiring. It's tiring. Sure. And... She can't speak for all parents, but maybe some parents are like, okay, he's just not going to get this. And it's also four on one. She had four children in the house. So she's trying to juggle four personalities doing four different kinds of work. Well, no, that's an ideal household where she had four children in the house. Um, that's another subject. She didn't have four <laughs> children in the house. There ended up being four of us, but different households. Okay. So that's another, that's another road. Um, but uh, at, at, at best, there were two of us in the house, me and the middle sister. Okay. Um, uh, my oldest sister had another father. Okay. And my youngest sister had another mother. Okay. Uh, so, you know, minestrone soup. That's a lot of Christmas cards. 
Who's getting them? Who's getting them? Who's getting them? Yeah. yeah. All right. So if high school you get through, college is not like on your radar at that point. What's that first couple of years like? What are you doing? What is now 18-year-old Mr. Jones doing? You got a job? I am. You're driving around a little Volkswagen I Beetle? Job. I got a job because remember I told you the story about um, for my 16th birthday, uh, dad who didn't come around often came around on my 16th birthday and took me to McDonald's. Well, like every father should. Right. Now he took me to McDonald's with a motive. Uh, we sat there. I think I had a double cheese cheeseburger or a Big Mac or, or a quarter pounder or something. Uh, and then the manager walks over as I'm enjoying my meal. So dad brought me there for my 16th birthday. No, no money, no, um, no, no birthday gift. McDonald's was my birthday gift because the manager walks over while I'm enjoying my meal. And the manager says, hey, Kevin, how are you? Happy birthday. And how are you enjoying lunch? And I said, it's, it's fine. I'm having a good time. She said, okay, good. As soon as you finish that, come see me. I'm like, oh, what's this? I went to go see her. And the manager at the McDonald's, this is Carson Street in the city of Carson. It's the very first McDonald's I worked at. The manager at the McDonald's handed me a uniform. Said, I'll say, see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Tomorrow was supposed to be my first day at work. So my dad, the country boy from Mississippi, he worked out that for my 16th birthday, he'd take me down to McDonald's. And um, that was my birthday gift, a job. How'd you feel about that? I felt good because I was a pig. I was a little pig. <laughs> so I like to eat. I said, okay, all right. So I get to work at McDonald's. I get to earn a little money. And and um, what was minimum wage? Probably like three seventy five or something. Three thirty five an hour. All right, three thirty five an hour. I was rich. Yeah, right. I was rich. So, um, and you got food. I too. got food. So, and what I learned is, you know, by the end of your shift, you could just take as much food as you wanted, and uh, so I had boxes of nuggets to take home with me <laughs> after uh, after a shift at work. So I was naively, I was a happy kid, had a job, had a little money I was making and I had a box of nuggets. How often, or how often did you work? Three, four times a week, a couple of times a week? What? It was full-time work. It was full-time work. It was five days a week. Um, I don't remember the days I had off. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did work on the weekend. How long did you work there for? All through uh, summer? Or all through I worked there for, two, I ended up working there for two years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> ended up working there for two years, quit. And went to another one, worked, worked at the next McDonald's for another two years. Uh, was that one just a better McDonald's or what would, would you move? Well, no, I mean, it's the easiest job you can get. So you take it. Plus, you don't want to be without any, any, any right. money. Especially once you got money, you you get used once to it. Yes, you got used to it. So I said, oh, I can't be without money now. Let me let me go on up here to <laughs> this McDonald's and put my application in. Did you have a little, little car? Did you buy a car? Uh, my dad gave me a car. Um, what was it? What kind of car? It was a 1978 Chevy Nova. Whoa. That's uh, a big car for a little kid. Yeah. He gave me that. Um, but I did something bad with it and he came and took it away from me. So I may have had it. Um, I may have had it a few months. Speeding. Speeding. 
uh, in cities I probably shouldn't be in, uh-huh. uh, girl problems. Uh-huh. Um, I forget exactly what it was I did, but he came and got the keys. Repo the car. He came and repo the car, and he said, you're on the bus, young man. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy that date now. <laughs> yep. So I was done at that point. I was I was wiped out. Yeah, you, the girls don't really enjoy getting picked up on the bus. No, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> Sweetie, as far I'm, as on, I know. I'm on the 53. Yeah. Come on, I'll pick right, you up. Right. Yeah. yeah, just meet me at the corner. No, doesn't happen. Oh, doesn't happen. You know, there's certain things you have to have, even in in even in our community. Did you feel like a king though for those couple of months when you had that car? Absolutely, absolutely. The the car is named Chevy Nova, and in Spanish, Nova means no go. But my car moved. That Chevy Nova could move. Right. You should have been at a 62 Volkswagen Beetle, right? I, I got a 74 Super Beetle some years later. Yeah. But I was too big for it. It does matter. You should, you know, <laughs> you should have made you slow down to get in and slow down to get out. It's only a three speed and 82 horses that are really old. Yeah. And that really shows you how to drive and slows you down. Putting yourself in a Nova, poof, man. <laughs> tires are peeling ended out. Up, ended up, yes. But isn't it crazy like kids today at 16, here you and I with some gray hair and we look at these kids at 16, they, they don't want a car. They don't understand the power of the car. Oh, I can't, I don't know if all kids feel that way. Well, I think there's some kids that still want a vehicle. Do you know that licenses between the ages of eight, 16 and 18 is down by more than 40% for kids in California? Well, maybe that's because they can't get them for whatever reason, not because they don't want to. Who can't go to the DMV and get a... D- My kid, 17, doesn't have a license. He can get it. We live three blocks from the damn DMV. He should be there today if he's listening to this podcast. I think I think there's other reasons why you might not be able to get a car. We're talking about coming out of well, high school. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. When you and I came out of high school, you could have bought a Beetle for four or 500 bucks. Right. Rag top with no top, just bald tires. You could, you can't buy a five hundred dollar car anymore. Right, you can, but well, <laughs> it's not guaranteed to be a good car. Right, you know, back in the day in the seventies and eighties, you could get a five hundred dollar car, a thousand dollar car, and you got something good. Sure, that Beetle, you could have fixed it with duct tape and a paper clip and kept it going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, no, go ahead. Different time. No, it's, I mean, but it was a different time. Definitely. So what? what's your plan now? You're getting into your 20s. What's Kevin doing? Still living at home? I'm blue collar mindset. Okay. I am mentally done with school, still living at home. Um, no, no official plans to move out until, and notice how I said plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if I was in control of that, you know, like maybe if there was a father or a, a, a mom who was saying, get out of the house right. at 18, you got a date, buddy. Yeah. You, you have a date. Uh, then maybe I would have had a date, but because I didn't have a date, uh, there was no option or no thought of where or when there, there was thought of eventually of Okay, I've got to I've got to figure this employment thing out, and see if I can afford rent, and see if I can do this on my own. Yeah, you had no pressure, no pressure, and no training to prep for for that. 
okay, okay, son, you're about to turn 18. Uh, uh, I'm trying to get you ready for you being able to live on your own. There right. was none of that. Right. So you have to make this much to pay for this much. You got to buy these groceries. You got to pay for these little silly things like, you know, toothbrushes and t- toilet paper. Yeah. Like real world stuff. None of that. No, no home preparation. Right. None whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so anything I did learn, I, ha- I eventually learned it on my own. So uh, I was blue collar mindset. I was okay. High school's done. I'm going to get in this job market and see what an undereducated um, um, black male could do as far as earning money. Uh, so security officer, uh, like I said earlier, McDonald's, um, those, those at-will employment type careers, uh, something you could just walk in, fill out a paper application back when you used to have paper applications. Uh, and supervisor interview you on the spot and decide if you're going to get a job or not. Right. Then, right. You could start that day. You could start that day. Um, send you in the back, get a uniform. So for me at 18, 19, um, signing up for trade school, um, that was the path. I was like, okay, let's, let's do this and let's see how many years I can do this. There was no, there was no vision, like where you're going to be in five years. Why do you think that was? You just no guidance to give you a vision, or you just didn't see Kevin at 25. I think that's a better answer. I didn't see Kevin at 25. Kevin was uh, deer in headlights. Um, Kevin was in the now. Uh, get this money from this job so that you can have enough money to go to the arcade, uh, maybe take a girl out on a date if you had a car. Um, Just in the now. There was no, there was this false sense of, oh, Kevin, you've got plenty of time. Right. You have plenty of time. Don't worry about that now. Worry about that. Worry about that in a year. So imagine telling yourself, don't worry about that right now, Kevin. Worry about that in a year. Imagine telling yourself that 10 years in a row. Now you're not 20 anymore. Now you're 30. And you're still making $13 an hour. Did and that it, time fly? That time flew. Just that time flew. Boom. 20, 23, 27. Boom. I'm 30? Yeah, it flew. But you're not paying attention to it at... At that age, you're still not paying attention to it because you're still young and naive. Yeah, you're dumb. You're running around. You're just right. trying to get laid. You're working yeah. a little bit. I mean, right. You're not thinking about it. So for me, my head didn't come out of the clouds until 44. Um, other people had moved on with their lives. Now, to circle back just a bit, was there at any time, did you ever think of at least the military? Any yes. Of, any of the four branches. Yes. Uh, I love the Marine Corps uniform, just how it looked. I love what I thought, uh, what I thought uniformity looked like. There was something about me and uniformity. Okay. Uh, that I absolutely loved. Uh, so the Marine Corps, all the branches were attractive, but the Marine Corps was really, uh, attractive to me. Um, 
But you never but, stepped. But didn't follow through. Yeah. Didn't follow through in it, on it. Uh, like, like some people went on to the military and um, if they made it through and didn't get dishonorably discharged or weren't killed in a war or something, um, they came back home and were able to live some type of reasonable life because they had military experience. They had some discipline. Uh, whatever mid- whatever discipline the military gives you. And what's ironic is I have people approach me to this day because of how I carry myself and how I look, maybe even how I speak. And they say, what branch of the military did you, did you uh, join or were you a part of? And I have to correct them and say, oh, sorry, sir, I was never in the military. Uh, so I don't know where I got this, this pseudo-discipline from. Right. Maybe I developed it on my own somehow. Maybe I looked at other people's lives and saw mistakes and you learn from other people's mistakes and you, you figure out how to discipline yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty much how I raised myself was you look at the mistakes of others say, okay, hmm, this week, 10 people got killed in a gang. Don't think I'll be joining any gangs. Uh, okay, this week 10 people fell off a mountain over there because they were smoking something they shouldn't have been smoking. Okay, note to self, I don't think I'll be smoking that. That's how I taught myself. I would just see the mistakes of other people and how and what horrible issues came because of their actions. And I'd make decisions for my life based on seeing those things. And that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a damn good thing. Because you know how many people see crap like that oh look they smoked some stuff they went to the mountain they fell off i wonder if that happened to me let's go see <laughs> right right like no let's why? see uh i am my friend hit him says head and with a hammer let me see if my head again doesn't hurt right. like jesus exactly so okay i just asked that because i wish more people would if that's their choice it's either don't be foolish try a trade school like you can make a great career as a plumber or a, or a, you know a woodcraft or or a electrical i think we get caught up in the eh, hey that's six figures you don't have to love it but it's a damn good job and it's not going anywhere and the robots aren't taking over and chat gpt's not going to take the plumbing job right the, and if you go in the military i mean you and i right now we could have joined the military in high school be retired by now mm-hmm. getting a unbelievable pension full medical and still young enough to have a second career that could be wonderful yeah yeah and see you kick yourself certain people myself included i don't kick myself as often but you kick yourself when you discover things like that right when you discover like i had a person say to me uh probably 20 30 years ago uh kevin four years will pass you by if you go to school or not and over the decades, I've had to I, I've had to add that up. And like you just were a part of my graduation, my recent graduation. But prior to my graduation, I did that self assessment again. I said, Kevin, okay, it's, you're 53 years young, years young now. Uh, but if you were moping, if you were moping, sitting here moping, and reflecting back on how many years you've wasted then what that, what that man said to you about four years will pass you by whether you go to school or not. That means, Kevin, you've wasted 25 years from 
1988 till now or more. You've wasted 35 years of having not gone to school. Right. So I've, so I've stopped doing that moping because there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, the time you've wasted. And it's, we've joked, we talked about this when we were having lunch. It's unfair to say what would we tell Matt or Kevin at 12 or 18 because then that kid would be brilliant. Right. Right. Hey, listen, buddy, you do this, you'll make Warren Buffett look like a drooling idiot. I mean, that's just not how it works. But if we could have just understood life isn't as difficult as it needs to be, you can really make it easy. But boy, so often. We don't do that. And then once time flies, it's over. How did we get to be 50? Well, I mean, it's, it's, I, again, uh, I'm a parent now. I've been a parent for 26 years. Um, and everything that I didn't know to do, I try to pass on to my daughter verbally. And I, I'm kind of like uh, Willy Wonka when he's telling the bad kids, <laughs> Hey, don't touch that. Uh, don't climb that. Don't get on that. Or I'm like, um, I'm like Scrooge. When the spirits come to visit Scrooge and say, hey, your life's been horrible all these years. You might want to clean up. Uh, and then finally you catch the revelation. So that's what I, that's kind of how I'm living now is where I, I try to be, I try to be that, that guy on the runway at the airport with the flags guiding the airplanes. I want to tell my daughter and any other young person that will listen, uh, Hey, there's a path you should be taking. And there's some paths that you shouldn't be taking. Hey, Hey, watch out. Don't go down that road. Don't, don't turn left at that corner. Hey, don't do that. It's dangerous over there. I, I want to scream that to all the young people based on my own experiences. And I haven't had the worst experiences. Right. Well, talk about that. 26 years ago, what was it like when you found out you were going to become a parent? Um, still undereducated, uh, still underemployed, uh, still making about 12 or $13 an hour. Um, Still making bad choices. Um, the only good part about it was my daughter. The only good part about it was my daughter. She was absolutely uh, cute as a button. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'd hold her and some light bulb comes on and says, man, you're here. And uh, I don't quite quite know what to do or how to do it. Yes, I took one. I took one child development class at a at a at a community class at community college, so I know a little bit of something. Uh, but overall, I don't know what to do. But the but the joy in me outweighed outweighed what I didn't know. Now, did you take the approach? I want to be everything my father was not for me. Like I want to be the best dad ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that was the mindset. I said, okay, I know not to be mad at my dad anymore for what he was unable to do. Uh, but I know from what he was unable to do, um, what I want to do for my daughter. 
And even in, in decisions that I made, um, that would, that was still a struggle. Even though I had that, even though I had that clarity of knowing what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, I still wasn't in a position, uh, at, at least specifically financially to be able to do it. So what I did was I said, okay, what can you do? And what I could do was, um, make sure that I'm not abusive to my child verbally or physically, uh, make sure that I'm changing the diapers. And I did that most of the time. Was uh, that the first diaper you ever changed? I think so. I think so. Unless I help somebody else parent, right. You know, was it like yeah. an erector set, you know, trying to figure it out for you at that point? No, um, <laughs> because I think, look, I was already a, I think I had already been a nurse's aide. Okay. So as a nurse's aide, you learn how to wipe adult butts. Sure. So it was a no brainer for me to know how to wipe my daughter. Okay. Uh, so I knew, I knew to clean her up. Right. And then put on the Vaseline. <laughs> After I dried her up to protect her, to protect her skin from the urine. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew that I, because in the nursing home, there's certain things you had to do for a client to protect their skin, sure. protect the elderly person's skin from deterioration. So I used that same knowledge with my daughter. I said, okay, got to clean her up. Then I got to dry her up. Then I have to put something on to protect her skin. So changing diapers for me and my daughter was not a, okay. That part wasn't hard. That first dad, I didn't have, you didn't have that awkward first dad moment of like, where does it go? Oh, no, no. What do I do? No, no not at all. Uh, Where's the instructions? Uh-uh. No, I knew how to do that. I knew how to do that stuff. And, you know, maybe you attribute that to being the only boy in, a, in an all-female household. That's true. You understood where tampons go. Right. Understood. <laughs> I understood a lot right of Right in the stuff. ear hole. <laughs> <laughs> I did know. I did know a lot of stuff regarding how to care for children and specifically young ladies. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't that part wasn't hard. Now, were you guys married? No. Okay. So was there any fear like I don't want to do and fall in the steps of my parents? So should we get married? Should I try to make a nuclear family? Like you're you're always trying to be better. Was that a fear? Like, well, a, that could be one less thing. We're not setting our success up for this family. Right. Well, marriage was a was a thought for me. It wasn't a thought for uh, the young lady. Okay. Um, because when you're that young lady, and I can't speak for the young ladies, but when you recognize that you've made a mistake in who you chose to bring a child into the world with, mm-hmm. you're not interested in investing any, any further. Okay. Uh, so I think that's what happened with me Okay, is that the young lady realized she's already a college grad, but she had chosen or been chosen by a young man who was undereducated, underdeveloped, uh, and financially unable to provide for a child on his own. Uh, so maybe, maybe her disappointment in, in her choice of me. Um, derailed that whole thing. Okay. Like, well, she was not interested in nothing further. But me, still in my naive, my naivete, I wanted to be married. I said, well, you know, um, I'm supposed to get married, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Right. You know, especially if you grew up in any type of religious household or Christian household, um, 
you're not supposed to be uh, doing all the wrong things first, but I was a pro at that. I was professional at doing all the wrong things. Uh, so whatever it was, I probably did it. Um, child out of wedlock. Um, uh, sex with people you don't know. Uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, trying to impress strangers who don't like you. Right. Uh, when, when you should be focused on what life is supposed to be looking like for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're so busy trying to convince the world that doesn't like you anyway that you're at a certain status. Well, it might not even be that doesn't like you. It just doesn't you know, have time for your nonsense. Right. Or doesn't know you. Doesn't, you yeah. know, you're not an issue. Yeah, I them. don't give a rat's ass what right. you're doing. Right. I'm right. just trying to get home in time for dinner. Right, but we wrap ourselves up. Some, some of us, some people, some human beings wrap ourselves up in the, in the importance of what other people think. Right. And we say, okay, I got to drive this car. I got to look like I have this job. I got to look like I'm this status of a person because of what society might think of me. Mm -hmm. And so we live based on that. And so rather than making it true, rather than actually going out and getting a job that you can hold on to for 15 or 20 or 30 years, you act like you got a job. Rather than, rather than buying a car you can afford, you buy something you can't afford and you can't pay the monthly car note on, uh, and it gets repossessed. You're doing, you're doing all these things um, that are not providing a secure foundation for yourself in the right. future, right now or in the future. Yes, being aware of what other people perceive of you is important but it's also not important at all because you got to take care of you if you're not taking care of you all that fakeness of look i'm spending this kind of money when i'm dating these kind of girls i'm driving this kind of car mean nothing right like you got to take care of kevin so were you feeling that there was not a very good I guess not a very, uh, you weren't doing a very good job of taking care of Kevin truly. And you were just putting out a facade of how Kevin was being taken care of. Cause now you're responsible for a person. I, I feel like over time there was a, um, over time there was a, there was an inward recognition that there was a facade yeah, it was definitely a facade, um, but I thought it was something that I could, um, you know, the, the, the saying, there's a saying, um, fake it till you make it. Okay. Right. So the, the facade was a sense of that, um, realizing that you're in a struggle, that you have important responsibilities. But if you fake it long enough, if you if you wear the smile on your face long enough and keep working hard, eventually the smile will be authentic. Okay. And you will have you will have worked yourself up into some level of success. Be it providing for a family, 
um, uh, be it be it having uh, more education, more money in your pocket, um, or or even the mindset uh, that you're living a life worth living. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the with the mindset of you of a person inwardly knowing. They inwardly know they're not living a life they could be living. But outwardly, they have this, mas- this facade on to make it look like everything's fine. What are your, you know, you said you've, you've done some like health care work, right? You were doing some security work. You were probably a manager at McDonald's at some point. <laughs> the, the master chef of McDonald's. Wow. <laughs> I was the Sunday fry guy. What? And I know you've said you've dabbled in, in at that point, maybe possibly being a chef. Why do you think nothing was sticking? What was nothing becoming like Kevin's career? Uh, the light bulb had not come on yet. Um, there was a... There was an understanding of things I was good at or things I enjoyed. But there was, there was no, let me put it like this. There were two light bulbs. One, one light bulb represented the aha moment where you realize, okay, this is what I'm called to do. This is, this is what I was born to do. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then there's another light bulb that says the clock is ticking. You're running out of time. If you don't hurry up and figure this out, it won't matter. So both of those light bulbs came on at different times. What turned those light bulbs on for you? What was it that went boom? Okay, so so for instance, um, the story I think I may have shared with you about 2011, June 25th, 2011. I'm working as a security officer at the, uh, at the Nabisco factory, um, their lofts, the, the Nabisco lofts, downtown LA. Okay. Um, I'm sitting there, I'm a supervisor, security supervisor, but you know, you're still making 12 or $13 an hour. Uh, and all of a sudden, this epiphany, this, this inward thought or strong voice just came over me and said, you know, you're 44 years old in one ear, out the other, tried to keep working. Voice comes again, inward, inward voice comes again and says, you know, you're 44, right? And it's in one ear, but it's a little bit slower passing through this time. And then it's out the other ear. Keep on working. Voice comes back. The inner knowing, this this nudge comes back and says, you are 44 years old. All of a sudden, that light bulb came on. That time light bulb came on. I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, I'm 44 years old. And I haven't done anything with my life. I have a child. I'm making $12, $13 an hour as a security officer. What the hell are you doing? At that moment, the light bulb came on. 
Now, there's people all over this world. There's people all over this city who may have had aha moments where that where a light bulb comes on. Maybe there's some people who whose whose light bulb still hasn't come on their whole life, where they get the revelation, they get a they get a moment of clarity where they realize they've been on the wrong path or they've been dilly dallying too long in a certain area and they're supposed to be doing something else. That moment, June 25th, 2011 was my moment where I realized time was not my friend. It wasn't my enemy, but it wasn't my friend. And I've, I've come to know that over the years. Time is not my enemy and it's not my friend. Time just does what it does. It keeps ticking. And, and we as people have to figure out what we're going to do in that time. Within the time allotted, whatever that time is, we as people have to figure out what we're going to do in that time. Now, you can, you can come up 15, 17 years old, go to 27, go to 37, still doing mediocre things. Um, and then all of a sudden, something might happen. And you're like, oh, I got to make some changes. I've got to make some changes in my life. Something's not right. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in a rut. Other people will go 34, 44, 54, 64. Light bulb still hasn't come on. And maybe they've, maybe they've fallen into this rut and said, okay, this is all that life has to offer. Maybe a light bulb will never come on for some people. But for me, it came on at 44 where you you recognize you've been a disappointment to your family, you recognize you've been a disappointment to yourself, you recognize that you've gotten the fruits of your labor. Um, I, I, I said at a speaking event recently, another speaking event recently, that no one's a failure. Everybody has moments where they have failing experiences, and you can take those experiences as opportunities to grow. But no one is a failure. If, if, I, if I decide I'm going to lay down on the street and be, and be a professional person of poverty, then the results of, of me laying down on the street, there's a certain sort of set of results that come from that. All types of different poverty. But if I'm a different person and I, and I put effort in to do some other things, then there are results that come from that effort that I put in. So you can be a professional failure or you can be a professional success or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Whatever you put, whatever effort you put in, whether it's how many hours per day you sleep in that tent in downtown LA or how many hours you put working on that, on that job or however many hours you put in trying to build that business, you're going to see results you're going to see a certain type of result for the work that you put in. And that was the light. That was the other light bulb for me is that I have never been a failure. I have gotten results from the work that I put in. And if the work was laziness, if the work was uh, doubt, if the work was fear, if the work was sitting on my butt all day, then there, I got results from that. <laughs> At that 44 moment, you're a security guard and you're like, okay, this isn't who I'm going to be. What's your step then? What are you going to do? Well, what I did do was I moved. 
uh, I let my supervisor know that I, I couldn't work here anymore. I have to go. It was totally reactionary. The voice was so powerful. It was totally reactionary. I said, told, called my supervisor and told him I have to go. I have to go. I have to, there's something I have to do. Got to fix my life. And I ended up leaving that job after I trained who was going to replace me and um, moved to another city. Got, um, got some work immediately. Knew I had to get work and get roof over my head. And um, the mentality now, the mentality had changed. The mentality was no longer, oh, I got plenty of time. The mentality now was emergency mode. What am I going to do to change this life from 44 until I no longer have life to live? So first thing I had to do in a new city was get roof over my head and get a job. Did that rather quick. Probably the first week I was in that new city, got a job, got a roof over my head. Now, did you think going to another city was going to change your life or you just needed to get out of where you were? And go to another spot and try to kind of have a clean slate. Right. It was the getting out. It was the changing of the environment for me. Okay. That I felt was necessity. But not a state or a region, but you just thought another city? Well, for me, it ended up being a whole nother state. Okay. From Los Angeles to Georgia. Now, uh, why Georgia? Did you know somebody? Well, no, I had never been there. But if, if you remember at the top of the podcast, I said my sister and I were adventurous. So, but that was a down the block and around the corner, right. Kevin. But look, not three time zones away. <laughs> Listen, but see, let's look at let's look at what do they call it? Is it, is it statistics or or percentages? Uh, as a as a baby in diapers, around the corner and up the block is from L.A. to Georgia. No, that's around the corner and down the block. <laughs> you went up the block. You'd have gone to Seattle. <laughs> no, okay. So as an older adult. Around the corner and up the block or down the block is L.A. to Georgia. All right. So you went to Georgia of all places. Went to Georgia. Never Had never been there before. Heard a lot about it. Said, this is the perfect place to figure something out. If, if there is a life to be lived, here's where you're going to start figuring it out. Okay. Uh, so I did. Did you fit right in? You found a place? Got a job? Got a job. Kevin settled. Got well, settled is relative, but yes, I got I got settled. Okay. Got a roof over my head. Got uh, got a job, uh, security work. Okay, fastest job you can get. Sure. So went ahead and got it. Didn't have any time to waste. Um, worked and worked worked from 2011 to 2014, and. Um, Got comfortable because cost of living in Georgia, at least back then, uh, was way cheaper than Los Angeles. Yes, you could get a you could get a three four bedroom apartment for six eight hundred dollars. You know, in Georgia, certain parts of Atlanta. Um, so what are you what are you paying now? Uh, can't speak on that. <laughs> well, let's say. Upwards of rent now is eleven hundred. Okay, there you yeah, go. Yeah, rent now is eleven hundred. Right. Um, what would eleven hundred dollars got you in Georgia? Who a pool? Uh, yeah, really <laughs> nice, really nice apartment. Matter of fact, um, a decent house. Yeah, you know, is that crazy? Yeah, 
decent house in Georgia, 2011 at least, right, would have gotten me. Now, you, you said 11 to 14. That's when you're there and you kind of get settled. Yes. And you get comfortable. Why, when you're there at 11, 20 to 11, is there not a, okay, I, I, I had a red light go off saying, I'm 44, I got to leave, I got to go to another place, I got to do something different. But then within three years, you're just basically doing the same thing in a different state. Right. Well, the, the epiphany was the emergency light basically telling you something has to be done. And my response to the epiphany was, oh, I got to go do something. Didn't know what that was. No plan. Just No plan. Boom. Just had to do something. Knew that I had to do something to get the ball rolling. Had no idea that me getting the ball rolling was going to lead to the, the next four years of being totally homeless. Had no idea. But it turns out that all of that seems to have been part of the plan. Not my plan. Seems to have been part of the plan to take me from immaturity to maturity. Uh, so sometimes you need that kick in the pants. Sometimes you need somebody to pop the bus door open while you're run, while while it's rolling and throw you out. Boom! There you are. Right there you are, rolling in the dust. <laughs> the bus keeps right, on. Going. Bus keeps on going. That was my experience. The the eviction that I suffered because I got too comfortable uh, in 2014, March 14th, 2014. The eviction that I suffered was the was the door of that bus being thrown open and life saying, did you, get out of did here. you just stop working or how did you get evicted? Um, no, I left one job and started with another. Uh, then there was an issue on that final job where I guess I got into it with, with an, with an employee. I was a supervisor. Okay. I got into it with an employee who, uh, preferred insubordination. Um, um, wound up getting caught up in some big mess about me not being a, uh, a good leader, a good supervisor. Okay. And rather than stay, even though they say, if you quit a job, that means you're guilty. Uh, rather than stay and, and fight the thing out, I just said, screw it. I'm out of here. Absolute bad choice to make. But it was the choice that was going to throw me right into, into the fire, out of the frying pan, into the <laughs> fire. And it turns out I needed that. I needed that last dumb mistake. I needed it because it ended up making me better. The, the suffering that would follow from that final decision is what made me, is what would force me to be better. How did that eviction feel to you? having that notice and having your stuff, you know, removed from the place you were renting. Um, well, there's a, there's an embarrassment. There's a shame. There's a, all the neighbors are peeking out through their blinds. There's a standing in court. Cause you got to go to court for an eviction. So you're in court with 50 other people being evicted. So it's like a, it's like a shopping center for evictions where people all, all across the city are being evicted for 
having trouble paying their rent or not in, or not paying their rent intentionally or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between that court case, um, not case that that court session, um, and seeing my furniture out in the common area at the at the apartment complex, and knowing that the vultures were waiting. Because in certain communities, I don't know if it's in all communities, it might be. But if you're being evicted, your neighbors know it. And they, they wait by the windows or by the door for you to decide or figure out that you, you're not going to be able to do anything with your furniture. And then after you walk away, they come out and pillage. They come out and pillage your furniture <laughs> like the vultures. And so, you know, I walk away from my furniture and, and stuff and I'm like, but Kevin, you can't even be mad about that. You can't even be mad about the vultures. Isn't that what vultures do? They wait until the hyenas and the lions get done and then whatever's left, they, they pile in. Can't even be mad about that. You caused that. So next thing you know, mentally, okay, Kevin, what's your next step? Sun's going down. You're, you're in Georgia now. Yeah. You're you not in need, Los Angeles. Yeah, and you don't need that bed and dresser. <laughs> you don't need the bed and dresser. So, so what's next? Sun's going down, and it's going down on the east coast, on the south, in the south, not on the west coast. So you need to be, you need to have a roof over your head by 5 p.m., sir. What are you going to do? So I'm like, I got to contact a shelter. I got to contact a shelter and get a roof over my head before this sun goes down tonight or I'm in these streets. I'm literally in these streets. So I called and got a bed at a shelter. Called and got a bed at a shelter and I moved into, that's the Clifton Sanctuary in Decatur, Georgia. I called Clifton Sanctuary, Decatur, Georgia. If anybody's listening to this in Georgia and you're homeless, check and see if Clifton Sanctuary in Decatur is still open. Uh, It's a place for you to go in Get a bed, get yourself situated, get off those streets. So that's what I did. It's a brave thing for you to do that because that's got to be harder than anything. When you know that's happening, pick up that phone and call them instead of saying, let me get through the night on my own, you know, a, a hotel or a underpat like to call that's no it's really saying you're you're not throwing in the towel but i'm desperate yes and let me explain part of the desperation part of the desperation is my apartment was not in 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 shady side georgia my apartment was in college park georgia or as the southerners would say college park georgia <laughs> if you're out on the streets on Old National Highway, Old National Highway, in College Park, Georgia, after dark, you are in trouble. You need to pick up that phone. Unless, unless you know the streets, unless you are very familiar with the streets, and you've, you've made peace with the streets, and the streets have made peace with you. If you are a rookie... If you're green, if you're new to being homeless, you need to pick up that phone and call the shelter and get a bed right away. Because College Park, Georgia, 
you might you might want to bed in downtown Baghdad before you want to bed. I mean, before you want to choose to live on the streets in College Park, Georgia. Not recommended. Not recommended. So I was green. I was green. Were you terrified? I wasn't terrified because I came from South Central. So I had heard all the bad stories about how bad certain parts of Georgia were. Uh, You shouldn't be out walking on old national highway, which I did often. Uh, and, and I, and I wrapped my head around it. I said, well, no, even if I should be afraid, I'm not afraid. Cause I grew up in South central Los Angeles and we had it rough there. So I just wasn't, I wasn't afraid. I've already seen dirt. I've already seen some grimy stuff. I was not afraid of old national highway <clears throat> when I found myself needing a bed by 5 PM. I just wasn't. Okay. How'd those first night go? Oh, first night was like, um, first night was like, remember Shawshank Redemption? Mm-hmm. When um, the uh, the heavyset man was in the jail and he's crying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Mama, come let me out or whatever he said. And the other guy in the next jail said, fresh fish. Fresh fish. <laughs> that was me. I wasn't the guy yelling fresh fish. I was the guy wailing. Like, oh my God. I'm in here, but I'm in here. Can you believe it? What have you done in your life that you are in a shelter at 40 something years of age, 44, 45, and the fruits of your labor? say that you are an absolute failure. So yeah, that, that first night was, was Niagara Falls. That first night was boo hoo, which is a no, no, which is a no, no in, in jail and in, in, in shelters. (laughs) The moment you start crying, you're the target. You're the, you're the guy, you're the weakling. So what happened to the guy in Shawshank Redemption? He got the life beat out of him because he kept crying and whining. Now, of course, that didn't happen to me or else I wouldn't be sitting here talking <laughs> to you. Um, but it did mark me. It did mark me as suspect. Uh, and so, but I was so desperate. I didn't have, for the first time in my life, I didn't have time to be concerned about what other folks thought. And that's why I say, That's why I say um, I appreciate that part of the journey, the homeless part of the journey, because it really helped you shake off. It really ha- helped you shake off some stuff that may have haunted you or may have troubled you your, your whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're afraid of people, if you were, if you're afraid of the boogeyman, if you're afraid of dark alleys, uh, well, when you're in the streets and homeless, all of a sudden, all that is in one place. The boogeyman, dark alleys, strange people you don't know. And so you are forced now to reach down deep inside yourself and find that inner strength. And, 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 and I discovered that that inner strength was saying, well, finally, 
You're, you're finally ready to let me out, right? So we can start living, right? So that's what happened is the struggle, the, the intensity of the struggle is what brings out the best in you. If there's any good in you at all, it's the intensity of the struggle. How long did you stay in that shelter for? Did they give you a time period like you got 72 hours or a week or a month? Uh, I think that particular shelter, I think shelters usually give you 90 days. So I think Clifton Sanctuary gave me 90 days. Wow. You have three months to get something popping. That's a long time. Right. So you get a bed, you get a kitchen. Uh, it's public. All the stuff is public. Oh, okay. So uh, is it like in a big hangar room and there's lots of cots? Or did you have an individual space? Well, this one was a this one was an abandoned church that they converted into a shelter. Okay. So the entire sanctuary was full of beds. Uh, it was male only, men only. Okay. Um, so they're not cots, but they're mattress beds, little like, metal frame mattress yeah, little beds. Little metal frame mattress yeah. beds. Very military style kind of. Right. Yeah. Do you have a little like place to put your stuff under your bunk? Yes. You got a stuff okay. place to put stuff under your bunk that you had to keep clean regularly and you had a little box next to your bed. Public bathroom? Just public big, bathroom, public showers, public bathroom, public showers. All right. So yeah. a shower together, like shower together. No okay. walls in between. Nothing. You're you're in there with 15 other naked men. Okay. Showering. Right, they're stripping you down. Like they don't, it's, this is not a club. This ain't a club. This is just a place. Now, if you're going to wash that body, you're going to wash it at the same time. This other guy is washing it. Now, were there hours you had to be in and you had to be back or it was a requirements yes drug tests no smoking like what was there oh yeah rules shelters good shelters have have rules that you have to follow uh from union rescue mission to um to uh montgomery street inn in san jose to clifton sanctuary in decatur georgia they all have rules like you're up by you're up by six and out the door by 8 a.m. to go find a job or go to the library or, or do something. Right. And then you're back in line at the shelter by five o'clock to get a bed. If you don't show up, they give your bed to someone else. And you're back out on the street homeless. So now as a homeless person, you have to begin. If, you, if you're serious about rebuilding your life as a homeless person, you have to begin to Organize your your life around the shelter schedule. So now, yes, you take your shower that night. You get up in the morning. You you eat whatever breakfast they have out. Sometimes they may have a hot breakfast out. Sometimes it might be a bowl of cornflakes and a, and a box of milk. Um, or if, if it's donated food, there might be some muffins and stuff out there. You grab it, you go. Uh, for that particular shelter in Decatur, Georgia, there's a shuttle van. That, that that sits outside the front of the shelter. Okay. And by a certain time, that shelter, that bus, is ready to peel off. You need to be out of the shelter, dress, and have your stuff with you to get on that, shel- that bus. That bus, that shuttle bus, takes you downtown Atlanta, Georgia, or downtown Decatur, drops you off, and you got to figure out life from then on. Whoa. Go do life. However you're going to do it and then be back at that shelter by 5 PM. We don't care how you get there. Now, what's your plan? You got 90 days. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to get out before 90 days or are you sitting there thinking, I want to get back 
to LA or, or what, what's going through your head after 48 hours of crying? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, this was, uh, this was 2014. So let me see. Um, I remember hitting the ground running. I remember because in 2003, I had gotten my CDL after my dad died. So while I was homeless, I was still functioning, able to go and get jobs. So I would take my CDL and go out and try to find work. Now, what's CDL? Commercial driver's license. Okay. All right. So I was equipped to drive any type of truck. Okay. Um, the, 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 the 53 foot, uh, box truck, the, the tanker, uh, the flatbed, um, whatever else was out there. Okay. And what I did was I went out and found temp agencies, found trucking companies, whoever I could get to, because remember the streets in Georgia are different from city streets, um, from like Los Angeles streets. Some streets take a long time to walk down. So you have to know where you're going and how you're going to get there. So if you're on a bus in Georgia, in the city, and you're, the trucking company you're trying to get to is, say, in Ellenwood, Ellenwood, Georgia, then you've got to catch the bus to get to the area. But then you might have to get off that bus and walk another two miles, three miles, four miles to get to the company. The oh, trucking company. Jesus. Because these are big, these are big country roads. Right, right, right. We're used to it being jam-packed in LA. Right. Yeah. Country cities have areas where there are big country roads. Mm-hmm. And bus service might not be might might not right. be there. Just not do that five mile stretch. Right. They might not do that five mm-hmm. mile stretch. And if your location, if your job location or, or school location is on that five mile stretch, that means when you get off that bus. You got to walk that five miles to right. get and, to your and, location. And people do it. And people do it. Right. Because that's their life. They, that's how they've been raised. People do it. But now imagine being a city boy and having to do it. And a guy looking for a job. And a guy looking for a job. Right. So I had to do it. How was your health and weight at this point? Um, my health and weight seemed pretty good. I Like right now, I'm about... Two seventy nine, maybe two eighty. Okay. Twenty eleven, twenty fourteen, I was probably two two thirty, two forty, two forty two, something like that. Okay. My weight and my weight was not an issue or concern, or my health was not a concern at that point. I f- I felt even though at my age, um I was still capable. Okay. I could, if I had to walk a country road, I could walk it. Okay. You know, uh, watch out for the, for the coons and the, and the cicadas, <laughs> uh, watch out for the, the new bugs, the Southern bugs mm-hmm. and just make your way. All right. So you're, you're making those humps to get to places. You got a job, mm-hmm. but you're on the clock for 90 days. Does that seem like it goes fast at the shelter? If you're busy, it goes fast. If you find something, if you if you're just if you're not looking for work, if you're not serious about recovering from homelessness, uh, then that ninety days is long, and you get comfortable. You're 
you're leaving the shelter at 8 a.m. like they tell you. You're catching that bus down to the library. You're sitting in the library all day smoking. Not smoking in the library, but near the library. Or you're reading. Uh, you're figuring out what you're going to eat with your government assistant money. Uh, and then you're watching the clock. Okay, I have to be back at the shelter by 5, so it means I may need to leave the library about 3.30, depending on where I'm at. Because i got to leave the library, meet the shuttle bus. Shuttle bus will take me back to the shelter. If I mess around and miss the shuttle bus, now i got to figure out how to get back to the shelter before 5 o'clock. If I don't get there, they give my bed away to somebody else. That's a pressure you don't want. <laughs> That's a pressure you don't want. So these are these are responsibilities. All the responsibilities that I... Only if yes. you play the shelter game. Only if, if you, you play if, if you live outside of homeless on the outside, you do whatever you want. You do whatever you want. But right. the shelter homeless, yes. there's, re, there's a structure that it's kind of a tier. It's not your apartment structure. There's... Yes. This show, and then there's, I guess, free ranging, just being on your own. Right. So now you understand the issue with homelessness in Los Angeles. But because there's a population that knows their structure within the shelter system. And they want no part of it. They want no part of it. And also there's violence and drugs and, and, and other stuff happening in the shelter system. So that's another reason why they don't want it. Right. So now. Yeah, they're talking about those apartments in downtown L.A. They said it's like a brothel drug den Butcher shop. Well, you've got you've got the gangs and whatever else is happening in those areas that take over those buildings. You don't have the people who are managing those buildings take over those buildings. So if you let if you let the trouble take over the building, then yeah, it's it's like the Carter. Now the stereotype, right? If I'm if I'm doing Hollywood casting, you and I are producers, and we're sitting there and we're trying to cast for these four guys for a homeless scene in the movie. We want them to look a certain way, act a certain way, and their behavior in the movie is going to show a certain thing. Were you, at that at this point, alcohol-dependent, drug-dependent, or was it just bad decisions and you're kind of the normal guy, outlier, that got yourself here? Yeah, I was the normal guy, outlier, who got myself there? Because now you and I don't pick you in that in, for the movie because you don't look like then the homeless guy not. we want in the movie right. scene. I, I don't get picked for the movie right. because I'm not the cart pushing guy. I'm not the guy talking to himself. I'm right. not the guy. Uh, you don't have an invisible dog complete, and you got all your right. teeth. And, I'm not the guy that's completely dirty. I am the professional failure. I am the guy who through the, through the sum total of his poor decisions, uh, got a result from those poor decisions and it ended me up there and so no you're right I don't get hired for the movie because I don't fit the mold it's up to me to figure out okay Kevin now that you've screwed yourself up really good and got yourself here how do we resurface thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Kevin Jones if you enjoyed this episode please click and hit the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember to follow the Just A Good Conversation podcast on Instagram and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.